Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Some Redeeming Qualities. We are your hosts, JP and B Rock. Hello. Hope you're all doing well. So last time, uh, last episode, we briefly talked about Apocalypse Now on acid. Okay. Did you take some acid and watch it? I found myself doing that Tuesday evening. Okay. It's probably the way it was meant to be watched. Definitely. Did you also watch Natural Born Killers? No. Because that's the way that was meant to be watched. No, well, I mean, we watched it that one time as well. Oh, right. Fucking amazing. That's how I saw it, by like, just by chance. Oh. I was going to the theater back yeah. when it came out, and we just dropped some acid. On on acid specifically, that movie, like, gets you fucking engaged. Both, both Apocalypse Now and Natural yeah. Born Killers. Like, the scene at the start with the trees. The, it's the Flight of the Valkyries. I'm man, and so I watched, and it sounds so good. The, so apparently, they were wanting to do an all synthesizer soundtrack. Okay, and I don't know. A bunch went wrong. Didn't end up happening. But a bunch went wrong during the filming of that movie. That's what I mean. I also want to watch the Hearts of Darkness documentary, okay. which is like yeah, the book. I I, I don't know. It's about based that. off of that book. Okay. Yeah. It's also a documentary that like showcases them making it okay i think that'd be pretty cool to watch sure um just by all the people who went yeah the sound of the helicopter oh, oh man. man just crank it up i was listening on my headphones oh even better i was high as shit and just locked in it was so good man i don't um, recommend things to you that i don't think you're like that are going to be true. outstanding well, i've seen the film before but i wasn't on acid yeah no, I wouldn't tell you to watch it unless it, unless it was significantly better. That's very true. I ended up watching the Redux version because that's all that was available. Okay. So there's like an extra 43 minutes. I have like, like boat a, scenes. a DVD or Blu-ray of it with a bunch of stuff like that. Was the original as crisp as the remake in 2000? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always like a visual. It's always been one of the top quality in terms of video and sound. Yeah. No, it's always been like that. I remember the first time I ever uh, heard of that movie was a friend of my dad's, and he knew that I was into stereos, mm-hmm. like stereo equipment. So he's like, I have a really nice stereo. You should come by and see it. It was pretty nice, but he had this surround sound system set up, and he like turned the lights down and played. We I played just the flight of the Valkyries. Oh, man. I was like, oh, my God. Like, you could hear the helicopter coming across the fucking room. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful stuff. Um, I'm what? Sorry, we had. That was uh, me. That was you. Yeah. Don't. Yeah, don't. Don't let it break the flow. Um. Yeah, I don't know if it was the acid or the the touch up of the movie. It wasn't really touched up. No, no. Then that's amazing. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it for people because oh, know. if you haven't seen, I'm sorry if if we're spoiling about, uh, one of the best now, movies of all time. Then yeah, it means that you probably should have seen it by now. It's true. I have friends who are listening who haven't seen it, but uh, I'll I'll make well, sure it we happens. haven't said anything that spoils it other than no. it's top quality video and sound. I want to show it to them on acid. I think one should be gift, gifted that experience. Yeah, I don't think you should should watch it. The first time you should watch it on acid for sure. Yeah. Then afterwards, whatever. For sure. The soundtrack is great. Um, 
Apparently Coppola is working on another film. His daughter or him? Him. Okay. Um, here, just let me double check the the name of it. He's been working on the script since like the 80s, I believe. Don't quote me on that. I, I honestly didn't know he was still alive. I didn't either. I, his body of work is ridiculous. Um, I know Jude Law is cast in it. Okay. I mean, he's been in some okay films. I always thought he was a pretty good actor. All right. What are his top films? Honestly, I couldn't tell you. Exactly. The things that I have. Uh, he was in, um, it was an HBO show called. I don't know, it was something about like this island. In he was in Trainspotting. British wasn't he? he was in Trainspotting. Yeah, so yeah. that's the only movie that I can think of that he was really good in. He was in an he HBO wasn't good in Star series. Wars. No, no. I mean, Star Wars just wasn't good. Darn, I'm not going to put that on him. No. Was he in the newer ones? He was in like the episode one, two, and three, I think they were, which are the the second set second of three. Set. Yeah, that was just when I was getting into Star Wars as a kid. Um, but he was in a in a series recently, I completely forget the name, but it was really like a psychological thriller, and I thought he was great in it. But not memorable. The name wasn't memorable. <laughs> He's still searching. Still, yeah. Look into... Uh, Coppola's new movie that he's making. It's uh, it's supposed to be out in the next couple of years if all goes well. We'll move on from that. Well, you know, Peter Jackson's been working on a, a Beatles documentary. Really? Yeah. And he had like, hmm. I don't know, so, uh, hundreds of hours of uh, never seen before video. Where did he get it? I don't know, from like the estates. So I guess John, vaults. John Lennon's estate mm-hmm. and George and... You know, um, anyway, I saw like a trailer for it. Jeez, I don't know, within the last few months. And it looked amazing. I'm, I'm really mm. into the Beatles, though. And uh, I just heard that it's going to be now a mini series on Apple Plus. Interesting. Yeah, so I think it's supposed to come out in the fall. I'd like watch it. Six hours in total or something. I'm all for a good music documentary. Well, it took you long enough to watch. Um, the defiant ones it was great yeah again i would never steer you wrong you you haven't yet jp you haven't yet the defiant ones was great as well hell yeah i wish it would have been like more drawn out to be honest they could have gone deeper absolutely oh, hell yeah there probably is enough interviews and footage to make it longer but like it seemed like when they were talking about sort of the more recent times like mm-hmm. you know the 2000s it was like they were just reading off artists that they had yeah. acquired or worked with. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, they could have spent a lot more time on that. It was interesting to see the Gwen Stefani stuff. I had no idea what she was like before. I mean, wasn't really into No Doubt. I remember when they were popular. Yeah, but um, yeah, my mom loved Gwen Stefani, so I'd always always hear her growing up. And uh, it was interesting to see the transition, just how like Jimmy Iovine cast an image and right made Gwen Stefani as a yeah I mean as, sure. a, as, I, a, as a character it seemed I don't know I think that he had the ability to recognize talent yeah and you know he was also great marketing genius yeah, yeah. um and you know 
putting just with his experience, right? And you got to remember, Jimmy, I've even worked with Stevie Nicks, right? So, right, everything he learned about Stevie Nicks' development because he was working with her when early on. Were they together? Yeah, as yeah, well? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Live shield in the basement or something. Um, anyway, uh, I'm sure he applied a lot of that to Gwen and could see that it just was a matter of time for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really into ska music. But Neither am I. Some like she had a that solo album that was pretty good. That's the only album with uh, it was like morphing that Hollowback yeah. Girl on it. Right, that album. Sure, good album. Yeah, it's decent. All right, so we are leaving restrictions soon. Did you see that news? Oh, you mean like July first? Yeah. Okay. Really soon. You sound uh, anxious about it. Well, half part of me is um, a big part of me is just like, let's go for it. Get back at it. But um, all right. So we're, we're scheduled to go. No restrictions. July 1st. Um, some of our provincial doctors are obviously worried for, for good reason. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, if you look at, um, the criteria mm-hmm. for stage three years up. Yeah. Isn't that what they're calling 70% it? 70% first dose. Yeah. Two weeks. There after. you go. First dose. Agreed. If we were at, and then I'm at two doses. You <laughs> so, lucky fucker. So, but even still, you know, whether they say stage three or not, it really comes down to companies. If the company says you need to wear a fucking mask in our store, you need to wear a fucking mask. I'm fine with that. If, uh, if, you know, cruise ships and, uh, airlines require you to have a negative PCR test, then that's their prerogative. Yeah. Then, you know, don't spend money with them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but me, honestly, I'm all for, you know, opening shit back up, but seems like it might be a little bit premature. Just the idea of being like no restrictions at all seems kind of foolish. Yeah, man. People are going to be like, like masks, indoor spaces, concerts, even if you're wrong, we're fucked. No, I'm not, not you. I mean, I'm not fucked. The government. Yeah. If they're wrong about this, we're fucked. Especially when you think about variants. That's what I was going to bring up. So there's a new, a new, a newer variant, the Delta variant. It's not new. Um, but according to the WHO, that's going to be the next globally dominant strain of Tell corona. Me the history of the Delta variant. Oh, I don't know much about the um, history of the Delta variant. Okay, so, but it's Do on you? the new new group, right? Yeah, it's not really. Um, what it's do you been mean? around for a while? Yeah, it's I mean, been it's, around since the B variant or B one one seven variant, that's, which was originally that's the Alpha variant, right? But that one originated in uh, Ireland. Or England, yeah, and the Delta variant comes out of India. Okay, right, and so, India was in. They probably still still are in terrible shape. I assume. Oh yeah, but I think at this point, probably COVID most wise. people have had it by now. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but research has shown that you may know this: that first dose vaccine is less effective against the Delta variant than the Alpha, which doesn't make a lot of sense if you think about. Unless you, what what uh, vaccine are we talking about? Um, this is just a brief uh, notice from Global. 
So they, they didn't give specificities. Um, they just said that first dose is less effective. Then that, it doesn't make any sense because you can't measure all of the vaccines uh, together. You, the MNR, mRNA vaccines yeah. are a lot different than the uh, whatever the antibody. Use. Yeah, but those ones aren't, aren't they made with like chickens or eggs or something? I couldn't tell you. Yeah. I, I'm not sure, to be honest I don't with think, you. I don't think you can just throw a blanket statement out there. But I think that really just shows that we don't know. For, for a lot of things. Um, and yeah, just to finish up on this specific point is doctors are saying there will be epidemiologists, there will be a fourth wave. It's just the severity of it is really depends on vaccination levels and the actions of people. You realize that we're now uh, per capita, the most vaccinated almost in the world as a country, as a province. Yeah. Like, no, it's, we, we, we're more vaccinated per capita now than the U S it's crazy. Yeah. I'm eligible for dose two now, which is great. Yeah. You should just go get it. At least book it because you'll be waiting. It's true. Everybody wants in on the lottery. I got to sign up for the lottery, but the Delta variant, you know, again, I, I don't understand how they can say that it's the Delta variant is <laughs> you have more risk of getting the Delta variant from one shot than the other variants, because when it comes down to it, it doesn't have any significant changes. They're seeing that it's more transmissible, Mm -hmm. but when you look at it, it's still, you know, got the same spike proteins that every other version of it does. Okay. So that's what the vaccines are using to attack the virus. So until something happens to those spike proteins, you'd think that the majority of the vaccines are still going to be um, viable. This is something to be looked into further. Cause that, that's a good point. If the target isn't changing, then it should be just as effective, but um, we'll see. Um, so I don't have it in front of me because my notes didn't sync, but um, <laughs> Pfizer BioNTech has just given the first uh what do they call it? Um, um, clinical trials, uh, part three or whatever, um, of their anti-cancer vaccine. Whoa. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. I'm- it's specifically focused on, uh, melanoma okay. and it works with some other drug that I think it's called Talib. Um, I forget what it, what it, you know, the specifics are of that, mm-hmm. but still pretty interesting that, you know, they're using MRNA to seek out cancer cells and kill them. Is it a gene therapy? No, it's a fucking vaccine. Interesting. Yeah. And do you, yeah, I guess you don't have the info in front of you, but do you know right. if it would prevent cancer in the future? Like a true um, vaccination? Or is what it, it does is it targets those cells. So if you get one of these four specific cancers that it, it's developed for it. Yeah. yeah. They give it to people with cancer as well that have already developed it. And does it work with them? Yeah. That's what, that's what they're mainly doing the trial on. It's very Shit. hard to conduct a trial of people that might get cancer. It's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's nothing to study. Well, you just, first of all, you've got to identify people who are at risk of cancer. A lot of people aren't going to tell you their whole lifestyle true right so yeah they're testing on people with cancer 
Well, that's exciting stuff. Yeah. Hopefully it works out because that would be, uh, they'd make so much money off of that. Let's not say that. Why, why would you say that? It's the, if it's a cure for cancer or a vaccine for cancer, I mean, that's something that's been. It shouldn't be about the money. But it is though. Yeah. I'm just saying though, like for you to just assume that they're going to make it super expensive or make a bunch of money off of it. True. Like why would any, any drug company research anything if it wasn't for money? Indeed. Yeah. Unless you have, they'll have the entire market is what I'm saying. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't suspect that they're going to be like the whole idea. Okay. You know, when you talk about sales Mm -hmm. is you could sell, um, a hundred widgets for a hundred dollars. Yeah. Or you could sell a thousand of them at fifty dollars each. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's per unit. The, it doesn't necessarily need. You know, you can make money and not necessarily have to keep the costs high. Especially with mRNA, is that it, the research costs are pretty low, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, dealing with it doesn't take as long to get it to market. Interesting. Well, we'll see how that turns out. It's it's exciting stuff. I like turtles. <laughs> what else we got going on? Okay, so healthcare workers, COVID, and psychedelics. Okay. <laughs> um, so a poll was taken over the course of May 28th to October 1st, 2020. Included almost 20,000... 20, 900 healthcare workers from 42 different organizations. Um, research was published in The Lancet and unsurprisingly showed that 61% of the participants had fear of exposure um, to COVID, 38% reported anxiety and depression, uh, 43% suffered work overload, and 49% had burnout, which is it's almost half of the workforce suffering burnout, which is pretty high. I do wonder what that number would be for healthcare workers not during a pandemic, because I know it's already quite high. Um, so a study sponsored by the University of Washington and a biotech company called Cybin is looking to aid healthcare workers with psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy. And when I saw this, I thought, it was somewhat similar to the approach that maps would take with MDMA in terms of treating military veterans with PTSD, because you need, you need to choose a subset of the population that needs it and is also thought of well in the community. Um, just the idea that I think more people would be willing to accept that like veterans, healthcare workers, I know it's a very different thing, but they do experience, uh, traumatic things on, on the front lines, um, would be deserving of treatment, whether it be psychedelics or cannabis or whatever. Um, I think it's interesting stuff. It's a, it's a good group to conduct the study on cause you would be helping a group of people who have served us well over this past year. And, uh, yeah, it could also be easily normalized to the public. I think. Interesting. Hmm. Going a little further, um, another article published on PRN 
new, oh, sorry, that uh, a lot of that information was from Forbes. Um, statistics, like I said, was published in The Lancet. Um, so this article from PRNewsWire.com, I talked about this. Uh, Sounds reputable. I know, right? Um, I talked about the company MindMed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, I know about them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, huge in the U.S. Really? Oh my God! You, you're living under a rock. MindMed, you do a little. Uh, you can. They're selling weed. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. It's a. It's a they Swiss got commercials company. on. Um, they got commercials on Howard Stern's channel. What? They have for for years, a couple of years. Well, the they're a Swiss company. Whatever doesn't okay. mean doesn't mean they can't you know operate no no i just didn't know that they were a known thing i've only started oh, yeah. seeing people are really into buying their stock yeah yeah interesting okay late to the party um <laughs> so mindmed and I'll try to say this correctly the lighty lab in basel switzerland i used to live about 45 minutes from there birthplace of albert hoffman as well oh wow fitting that LSD research is coming out of there. Um, so their goal was to, and what they did was publish the first pharmacogenetic data on LSD to help guide personalized dosing. So they're looking for a genetic basis for difference in subjective experience to LSD. Okay. We've talked before. You, you can take uh, quite a bit of acid and be fine. Yeah. I've got a bit of a lower tolerance, but this could just be uh, life experience and all these things. Definitely. I think that's more likely. Um, but uh, they were studying genetic variants in the cytochrome complex, and they identified a variety of different mutations in 81 healthy subjects. So not a huge group of people, but... A good start for sure. Um, to cut to the chase, people ha- who had a non-functional copy of the cytochrome gene were coined poor, metab- <laughs> poor metabolizers, and they had longer LSD half-lives and exhibited increased acute LSD effect and longer subjective effects compared to individuals with a functional copy. I wish that was me. That's what I'm saying. So these people are just really tripping. Yeah. So, yeah, the results suggest that genetic mutations in this one specific gene, the cytochrome P2D6, uh, significantly significantly influence the metabolism of LSD. Um, there wasn't any other major effects noticed from the other uh, mutations, but the idea behind it is you can find the perfect dose of acid for a person based on their genome. I don't need a genome to figure that out. (laughs) Who needs a genome? No, I'm just saying like one thing I keep thinking about when you're talking about this is they're not even addressing tolerance. I uh, tolerance in terms of the mental or no, in terms of like how much acid you've done. Well, that doesn't LSD hundred percent. It's like two days. No, Mm-hmm. So science says it's two days. Yes, I'm telling that. you that in my life, <laughs> when I've taken years in between, there's uh-huh. 
the first time you take it again, it's fucking crazy. And then it levels off again. JP, I think it's all in your head. It's not. I think it is. No, 100% it's not. And if people out there are that are regular acid users can, you know, comment or back me up on that, um, there, there's definitely a tolerance when it comes to LSD. There's a tolerance when it comes to everything. It's eliminated. Just because the they're body. not measuring it or they have, they're not able to measure it. Well, how many, how many regular acid users are they uh, working with in these studies? There aren't many. Exactly. <laughs> so then how, for you to just blow it off as, oh, yeah, well, because the half-life is X, then there's no way that there's tolerance as a factor. I see, you do have a point. I suppose you would also need to measure. Like weed. You have a tolerance levels. to weed. How, what's the half-life of weed? A lot longer. How long? Like it doesn't leave your body for th- about 30 days. Okay, still. So if you waited 30 days in between smoking, you're going to get really fucked. For sure. Okay. But like, have you ever taken acid multiple times in a week? Yeah. Did you notice a decrease? Yeah, you got to double up on it. See, I know that's the rule with mushrooms, but. No. Always got to double up on it. Hmm. Yeah. I see your point. I see your point. I mean, you'd also have to look at levels of neurotransmitters. They're just I'm just saying there's a tolerance involved and the, science needs to address the tolerance. The guys at MAPS just um, figured out the exact mechanism of LSD's action. I won't get into it because I don't fully understand it, but it's we're just figuring that out now. Right. So then right? Maybe that is they, they don't point, have any GP. idea that, like I said, they haven't done studies on, you know, habitual acid users. Yeah, yeah, that's a good Maybe point. Maybe they just the tests that they've developed to see if it's still in your body aren't that great. You know, after two days, whatever. Well, stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. I I take your point. Keeping with uh, genetics here, I don't know if you remember last week. I had a half stoned comment. I was like, man, John Frusciante. No, no, John Frusciante, he can come up later maybe, but uh, I don't have much to say about him. Um, how does how does cryptocurrency and genetics meet? Okay. And I think we both concluded that there would be plenty. Of, I, I was talking about computer programming. This is off air. Sorry, I should oh. uh, be more clear about that. But I've been thinking recently, like, how can the blockchain and genetics interact? They seem like a good fit, but... Why do they seem like a good fit? Or maybe just a, no, they seem like a good fit because of the high fidelity. I don't even know what you're talking about. What do you mean by that? Okay. Let me get into the story. Okay. And then, uh, hopefully that will, somebody's already thought of this. So I was late okay. to the party, but George church geneticist at Harvard. Um, he helped launch the human genome project and co-founded Nebula Genomics in San Fran. So the one of the leading parts in this article is he intends to sell his genome as an NFT. Um, Seems like something that you could just, he should just sell you like a piece of hair. It's a gimmick for sure. Oh, 100%. Um, but Church, like he's been known for doing some weird shit. He proposed to resurrect the woolly mammoth. I don't, gen- that, I don't think that's weird. Genetics. They're, they're actually Harvard. doing that. Are they moving on? Yeah, it? no, no. They've been doing it. They do it through uh, the same way that they like breed dogs, and like they're breeding um, the 
they're using the woolly mammoth DNA and they put it into like a, an African elephant. Whoa. Yeah. They've been doing it for a long time. And so this is this guy's idea. Okay. I'm sure lots of people came up with it. Probably. Maybe he publicized it or made it. Geneticist at Harvard. I mean, you're probably going to get uh, yeah. a good bit of love for it. He also had the idea to make a dating app based on DNA. That, that one's a little bit weird. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know much. willing to just give up their DNA? So this is, this is where this is going. Um, Nebula Genetics is a company who provides full genome sequencing services. Um, has used NFTs and the blockchain to give temporarily uh, 15,000 people who have had their genome sequenced the option to share their genetic information with a variety of users, such as pharmaceutical companies. And the idea behind it is that it would allow people to sell their genomic data as an NFT like thing or using the blockchain and allow them to directly make money off of it. This guy doesn't know anything about NFTs. <laughs> that's what, that's what I'm getting from this. Well, it's, it's more so the blockchain and just making sure somebody has a copy of their DNA and then allowing somebody to, why wouldn't, why would, or, or okay. print out. Here's a question. This is weird shit. Yeah. It's very weird. Very because weird. Why would you, why would you attach your DNA sequence to any blockchain when the blockchain is public and anybody can point. read that genetic information, whether they paid for pay for the NFT or not. Mm. Right. It's all public. It's a community driven system. So that's why I think this guy's just off of his rocker. He's old. Doesn't understand NFTs. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Sorry. I don't, I love, I love poking holes and things. That's what we're doing here. Um, the idea is radical. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's just, I think he's, like I said, I think he's just trying to get in on the NFT hype. And the crypto thing. Yeah. It's like Joey Coco Diaz has I watched got an NFT. The other day. Did, yeah, it's like a little picture of him as a little kid and his, like, arm, his arms are out. Like, That's pretty Wah. great. But, you know, it's totally obvious that he's just looking to make a quick buck. Oh, yeah. And that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. If you're trying to like. about the idea. No, the idea is Okay. I think that, but it, I don't know if it's you should be a way, a way to keep it private. Yeah, and I don't think the blockchain is that way. Once again, we go back to just encryption. So, um, hold on, I have one more thing okay. to bring up. The last question brought up by this in the article that I was reading is: if this all was the case and somebody had private access to their genome, how much of the genome does that individual actually own? considering that much of it is shared by their parents and family as well as people around the world. It's kind of an abstract thing. Well, I mean, if that's the rule, then nobody's going to own their genetic material right. because anybody who would be able to own it is long gone. Yeah. <laughs> True. Weird shit. This guy's at Harvard. I wonder how this all goes Just over. Because like, he's at Harvard doesn't mean shit. Obviously. We'll see how it goes. You know. Um, so the, I, I wish I had my notes. The founder of uh, Cardano. Yes. Was on Lex Friedman, I guess. Oh. This week. Recently? I've been waiting I for that. I guess this week. 
um, because that's when I saw this story. Um, and I, apparently he spent a half hour trashing Bitcoin. And the reasons that he was trashing Bitcoin were, you know, the reasons that everybody talks about Bitcoin lately, yeah. you know, it was a huge power sir or power taker. Yeah. Um, most people that are mining aren't using renewable energy, etc. And then Lex Friedman said, you know, what about lightning networks? And if you know anything about lightning networks is Don't. lightning networks is um, a project to address the huge power consumption and also the high transaction fees. Yeah. And when I was reading the comments of people who were list had listened to this podcast, they were all calling out this Cardano guy for being a total douchebag. Huh. Um, in that he should know better than to trash a coin, especially when he should know about lightning networks. Mm -hmm. You know, he's one of the guys who, uh, I forget what coin he worked on. Maybe it was Bitcoin. It was ether. Oh, ether. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Him and Vitalik split. Right. So it's not like this guy doesn't know better. Yeah. But you know, the community was basically saying, first of all, get your facts straight. And second of all, you know, all coins are positive towards, you know, what pushing cryptocurrency out and, you know, um, anyway. And then, um, the founder of Coinbase yeah. was talking about this week, um, how Ether will take over Bitcoin. And I was like, I said that a little while ago. He did. Are they talking um, price wise or use? No price, obviously value. Um, basically though, the way that he looks at it, and I think this is a really, um, fair and good way to look at it. If you're an investor is that there are a lot of similarities between the rise of cryptocurrencies and the dot-com boom of the nineties. Mm. And that, you know, there were thousands of websites that, were worth a lot of money, you know, in 2000 mm -hmm. and they're not around anymore. And the same will happen with cryptocurrency. So he's saying that basically there's a crypto bubble, bubble. that is just like the tech, uh, dot com bubble of the late nineties. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. It so it does make sense. The problem with that is, is that there's all these coins that are, um, tied to ether. Right. So if ether fails, then all those Everything's coins fucked. fail right away. That's a little bit scary. Hmm. It all makes sense though. I just thought it was interesting because I think you said the other week or whatever that you're all in on Cardano. Yes. <laughs> what kind of fucking dumb move is that? Why did you do that? It's just where I'm at right now. But I set you up. We had this nice, you had this nice portfolio. I did have it spread out. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Put it all on Cardano. You don't even know what Cardano does. I'm just, uh, it's, it's a small amount I'm playing around with still just putting it there and saying You're better, it. better to spread it out. Most likely in the long run, it, yeah. it has brought back enough. I mean, which, which is good. I remain to be up on it, but, um, long no matter term, what you're investing in, you mm. got to diversify. No, that's, that's very true. That's very, very true. I think that's like the principal rule.
from from what I've read. It ain't much, but it seems to be the way to go. So, you got anything else? Yeah, I got something else. Um, pupils and intelligence. Okay. So, research done by Jason Sukahara and others from the George Institute of Technology. Ooh demonstrated a correlation between baseline pupil size and intelligence. Okay. I'm already getting ready to fucking poke holes through this, so let's keep going. Let's give her. The study included 500 participants from the Atlanta community aged 18 to 35. Uh, pupil size was measured using an eye tracker device, and baseline values were obtained by having participants view a blank screen for four minutes and then taking the average over the time intervals. Okay, tell me, tell me what the results are. Um, so participants completed cognitive tests measuring fluid intelligence, which is reasoning on new problems, uh, working memory capacity, and attention control. It found that greater baseline pupil size was positively correlated with greater scores in these measures. They also noticed that pupil size was negatively correlated with age. So... Your pupils get smaller as you get older. Not mine. Um, so one hypothesis proposed as during the conclusion of this was that people who have larger pupils at rest have greater regulation of activity by the locus coriolis, which is a part of the brain in the upper brain stem um, and has deep connections to the rest of the brain and releases norepinephrine or adrenaline. Um and the idea is that a more active area of the brain, the locus coriolis, would increase cognitive performance and resting brain stain function, but more research is required. Okay. So if one was going to be subjected to these tests, why wouldn't you just get high first? Okay, so I had another question. I'll answer your question with another question. Um, if you're just high all the time and your pupils are dilated. Boom. That's what I'm talking about. You know? is So they don't know. Is of the, course they don't know. Is the pupil the beauty and the detriment to science? Um, but, well, it also makes you wonder why people are making these gross assumptions that, oh, bigger pupil size means you're smarter. That was a hypothesis. Sure. But, it, I mean... It, it, there's so many fucking variables. Like, what are all the substances that one can consume that would affect your pupil size? LSD, ecstasy, no. mushrooms. Weed. Does weed? Hell yeah. There's a reason that they noticed. shine the fucking lights in your eyes at the sobriety tests. <laughs> Never taken one. Well, you don't drive either. Nope. Two feet in my heartbeat. Um, I was thinking the same thing. Can you get smarter? By no, always having your no, pupils enlarged? No, it's a enlarged. stupid fucking test. Scientific American. Uh, you know, that's fine. But they're if they're saying, okay, well, if you take uh, subject A and they are on the exact same diet and, um, you know, you measure their pupil size, then maybe you're on something. Yeah. But the second people are eating, consuming, whatever, there's too many variables. Coffee. I don't know. Maybe coffee can affect your pupils. It's a stimulant. I don't know, but I can see that being the case. What do you think? Uh, Party Marty. What do you think his pupil sizes are? Party Martys are probably pretty big. Yeah, I would think so. 
party, Marty. Is that from the beach? I say I say July, it to myself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> party, Marty. Party, Marty. Yeah. Uh, good times. Well, I have Pour some. Forty thousand on TikTok. Oh. I'm sorry. Four hundred forty thousand on TikTok. Oh. Forty thousand. And this that dude, he was like, had his girlfriend in front of him. They were both like wasted. Yeah. And the dude's interviewing. He's like, 400,000. <laughs> like, if you listen to it, he doesn't actually say 440,000. Listen. 440,000 on TikTok. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a wild, wild video. Yeah. You got anything else? No, I'm amazed that I remembered as much of my notes as I don't have. Look good winging it, buddy. Thanks. You got uh, a few albums of the week. All right. Coming back at you. I think I've shown you this one once before. OST from 2002 by People Under the Stairs. Oh, my God. It's some serious hip hop. All right. Boom bap with the good rap. This one I just found the other day, but I that, then it doesn't. We have rules about the music that you mentioned on on the, on the cast. That's true. We do it has have to rules. be uh, at least two months tested. It's uh, all right. I'll I'll give you that one. Heavy synth stuff from the sick from '68, way ahead of its time. You'll just have to keep listening, guys. In two months, you'll hear about it. We play by a set of rules here, and I must respect them. So it's only because that you you get so interested and disinterested so fast it's true so it's not worth if if something if something can stand the test of time and still be considered as good then you can mention it but if it's just something you found this week and could be gone next week what's the sense in asking somebody in our audience to listen to it i've agreed to these rules therefore i cannot dispute it i'll get at you in two months guys what else um, we've got The Unseen from 2000 by Quasimoto, a.k.a. Mad Lib. Okay. Karma from 1969, Pharaoh Sanders. Don't know it. Oh, you've heard it before. Starts out with a 30-minute track called The Creator Has a Master Plan. He was a side saxophonist with John Coltrane. Okay. Pharaoh Sanders. I don't think I've ever heard that. Interesting. I don't remember anything 30 minutes long except for like maybe some Neil Young shit. I definitely sent it to you once. Yeah, but it doesn't mean I listened to 30 minutes of it. I might have listened to five minutes and been like, yeah, this is good. Or five minutes and been like, yeah, that ain't it. I remember you enjoying it. It's great stuff. Gets uh, very spiritual saxophone music. Okay. A lot like John Coltrane's later stuff. And then lastly, We Like It Here from 2014 by Snarky Puppy. A jazz band out of uh, Texas Music School. Okay. Great stuff. Funky Fresh. Interesting. Don't let uh, JP's interruptions sway you guys. They're good albums. No, and if you like it, then let let us know. I would. Please do. Please do. Give us feedback. If it's trash, then please let us know as well. Agreed. Either way. Criticism is always appreciated. Yeah, I think like I'm trying to think of what if I've listened to anything specifically this week. I think the only thing I've listened to this week is uh, the Killers Samstown album. The Killers, yeah, it's fucking great. I haven't listened to the Killers since I was like 14, 15. Yeah, they have great albums, but I really I like that Samstown album. I don't think I've listened to it. Yeah, it's good. Huh. 
Brendan Flowers, man. Is that the singer? Yeah, he's great. His really first solo album was really good too. Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to check him out. The Killers. I never disliked the Killers. They just kind of fell off my radar. Yeah. Well, everybody, it's been a blast. Bit of a shortened episode this week, but uh, we'll see you again this time next week. Take it easy, everybody.